Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney and Darian. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello there, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. Today we're talking all about why you might be feeling tired and nutrition and lifestyle strategies to improve your energy levels. Before we dive in today, we're going to ask our go-to question, which is the best thing you ate this week. So Darian's joining me today on the podcast. Darian, <laughs> what's the best thing you ate this past week? Oh, this past week, well, we are just coming off of Christmas and Boxing Day festivities. Hmm. I know there's a lot of <sighs> options. This is a tough week to choose. This is the a best tough thing. week. Honestly, I love butter tarts, so probably a good butter tart. <laughs> awesome. What was your favorite, your best thing you ate? Like you said, we're coming off the Christmas holidays, so so many delicious uh, desserts and, and baking items. So mine would be a cinnamon bun that I ate. Mm -hmm. It was actually at my auntie's house. I was visiting her and her family in Regina, and they had cinnamon buns from a local shop in Regina, and they were like a 10 out of 10, probably mm -hmm. best cinnamon bun I've ever had. I love cinnamon buns. <laughs> yeah. So if you're feeling overly tired or you have little energy, you're definitely not alone. Right now in Saskatchewan, we're in the depths mm -hmm. of winter, these short and dark days. I know I'm feeling a little bit more tired than I typically do. Um, so, of course, there are simple factors that we know reduce our energy, like if we have a poor sleep or maybe if we're coming down with a flu or a cold. But there are also more complex nutrition and lifestyle factors that can influence our energy. And in this podcast, we want to delve into those and give you some specific strategies um, to test in your own life to improve your energy levels. Absolutely. And we do want to note that if you are experiencing chronic fatigue, it may be important to visit your doctor or do some further investigation. In the first section of our podcast, we want to kick it off by talking about specific nutrition factors that could be influencing your energy levels through the day. You know, we love to talk about it, but the first one is blood sugar balance. So we can talk about how blood sugars impact our energy levels from a few different angles. One of the first angles I often talk about with clients is something that we call reactive hypoglycemia. So Courtney, for our listeners, can you describe what reactive hypoglycemia is? Absolutely. To start, we have to understand a little bit about carbohydrate metabolism. So when we consume a carbohydrate, and it can be any carbohydrate, it could be like a sweet potato, a regular potato, it could be oats, it could be rice, or it could even be sugars, like the sugars we find naturally in fruit or even added sugars, um, like the sugars we might find in baked goods. All of that carbohydrate breaks down into sugar in our body and increases our blood sugar levels. And this can be a great thing in many ways. It's what gives our body um, glucose for energy. But if we have a spike in our blood sugar levels because we've had a lot of carbohydrate at the meal, mm -hmm. we can get what's called reactive hypoglycemia where our body actually responds by 
overproducing hormones in a sense to bring that blood sugar down, but there's a overcompensation that happens and then our blood sugars drop low. Mm -hmm. And we're having that uh, feeling of a low blood sugar, which for many people will present as fatigue alongside other symptoms. Mm -hmm. It could be like a headache, lightheadedness, feeling shaky, maybe having some food cravings. Yeah. No, it's, it is really interesting once um, clients understand what that feels like in their body and then mm-hmm. understanding how we might um, kind of react or build our meals to prevent this reactive hypoglycemia from occurring. Mm-hmm. And and the solution isn't necessarily not to consume right. carbohydrates. It's to make sure that we're balancing our carbohydrates with enough fiber, protein, and fat, mm-hmm. um, but also considering the total carbohydrate totally. at the meal so that we don't have so much yeah. that's causing this reactive hypoglycemia. So, mm-hmm. Darian, maybe could you describe what a meal that could cause re- reactive hypoglycemia would look like and then how you might balance it out? Yeah. So let's say, for example, you're having a delicious pasta dish, Mm. but maybe it's just pasta with maybe a little bit of sauce. Mm -hmm. Um, There might not be enough protein or even fiber from the pasta itself or depending what kind of sauce or toppings you have enough fat. So we might add like a nice tomato sauce, maybe some ground beef on top, and you might even add a little bit of Parmesan cheese. I guess that'd be like a spaghetti meal, for example. Um, Another one, if I think of my personal breakfast, I just have oatmeal in the morning. But I add egg whites and top it with some peanut butter. If I didn't have those egg whites and peanut butter, I might experience a reactive hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are great examples. So the theme is building uh, fat, fiber, and protein mm-hmm. into your meals to balance out those carbs mm-hmm. so you don't have a spike and crash in your mm-hmm. blood sugar. And I will say different people have a different carbohydrate tolerance. Yes. So, you know, if you're more active, you can typically tolerate more carbohydrates um, and your body will utilize that for energy compared to if you're more sedentary. Yeah. So that's where we really get into some one-on-one nutrition with um, mm-hmm. people to determine how much carbohydrate they thrive with at a meal. Um, and then also factors like Darian shared, building in that protein, fiber, and fat. Yeah. So while we can get this reactive hypoglycemia from um, meals that we're consuming, depending on, again, like we discussed, the ratio of carbohydrates compared to the other elements, we can also get hypoglycemia if we haven't eaten for a while. Yeah. So essentially our body's running out of energy and we're having a low blood sugar, which for most people we see that happen if we go longer than five hours mm-hmm. without eating. So we just have a natural decline in our blood sugar levels um, and we would often benefit from having a meal just to gently boost us back up. And that definitely presents as fatigue as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely have lots of clients that kind of describe to me, oh, you know, I get pretty tired, like at the end of the workday, right before I go home for supper. And then we kind of dig into it. It's like, well, you know, you've had lunch at 12. It's now five, six o'clock. It kind of makes sense that you're feeling pretty tired on top of your workday, but also from that low blood sugar perspective. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to someone who's experiencing that dip in energy around maybe four o'clock, five mm-hmm. o'clock. Yeah, I typically suggest that if they know they will be going more than five hours without eating, we plan that intentional afternoon snack, maybe around that three, three thirty mark, or mm-hmm. even if it's just something small on their way home. Um, and again, pairing those elements. So maybe it is a piece of fruit, but they're adding some nuts with it or a protein source like some turkey bites on the side, but having that intentional snack with at least two of those elements we discussed can help kind of bring their blood sugars back up to a more stable level um, and again, give them time until they have 
that time to make a larger meal. Yeah, I love that advice. And I think many people can relate to the urgency of having a low blood sugar, mm-hmm. maybe getting home from work, digging in the pantry, you're grabbing at crackers, mm-hmm. chocolate chips, your body knows what it needs to get those blood sugar levels yes. back up. So we're often better off just being intentional, like mm-hmm. Darian said, with that snack to support us through the afternoon. And then we can come home yeah. and feel like <laughs> calm and at ease and be able to prep our supper and really enjoy it mindfully. Yeah, I've definitely been there where you're having that like pre-supper snack or you're like snacking while you're prepping supper, which is fine. But again, having that intention with that meal is a lot more enjoyable. And then a final factor that could influence your blood sugar balance is not eating enough carbohydrate at the meal. And of course, we could delve down a rabbit hole of talking about um, different ways to generate energy in the body. So some people might explore like ketogenic nutrition where our body's actually deriving energy from fat sources. Um, But most people are consuming carbohydrates through their day. Um, And that means that if we're not eating enough carbohydrate at the meal, we're not giving our body that glucose it needs to have that gentle rise Mm -hmm. um, in our blood sugar levels, which is what gives energy to our brain and muscles. So if you haven't had a carb source at your meal, you might find that you're actually lacking energy um, Mm -hmm. throughout the day or lacking energy um, after eating that meal. Another factor playing into why you might always be feeling tired is simply not eating enough. Yeah, it, it seems pretty obvious and maybe it is, but um, yeah, not eating enough. Your body doesn't have the nutrition it needs to function at its best. Um, and I will say the body's pretty dynamic. It can break down stored energy like stored body fat or even dipping into glycogen stores in the liver. So there's many ways the body can generate energy outside of like the meals that we're eating through the day. But if we're chronically under eating, we're likely going to see that negatively impact our energy level. A lot of clients might notice that they aren't feeling super hungry. They're like, well, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just not hungry, but I'm just very tired. And it's like, you know, depending on our circumstances in our day and our stress levels and what's going on, sometimes those appetite cues won't show up as that stomach rumbling hunger. So noticing, hey, am I feeling chronically fatigued? I feel like that's a big kind of red flag to just check in with mm-hmm. yourself and know that that could be a sign that, yeah, you know what, your body does need a little bit of energy. Again, even if that like stomach growling, like I'm so hungry sign isn't there because that won't be there for everyone. Yeah, that's such a great point. I'm curious, Darian, what would you say to someone maybe intentionally Mm -hmm. under eating because they have a goal, Mm -hmm. like weight loss? Mm -hmm. That's a tricky one, but I would say it's something to check in with yourself in terms of, okay, is it starting to impact other factors in my life now? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, am I so fatigued that it does feel hard to get through the day or I'm Mm -hmm. not sleeping or I'm very cold now all the time or even noticing I have more brain fog or getting irritable? Um, I feel like all of those signs could be something that it might not worth be worth being in that extreme of a deficit. And maybe it's something where you bump up your intake slightly and just see if that slight adjustment in energy does kind of negate some of those symptoms. Weight loss is definitely a complex conversation for many reasons, but if I am working with a client in an intentional calorie deficit, there's two main things I think about, or maybe three, but (laughs) one would be you know, is that calorie deficit moderate enough that they can still have 
enough energy yeah. through the day, um, but still see results towards weight loss. How long are we in the deficit? Mm-hmm. And usually I find longer than two to three months um, to be detrimental to consistency and energy levels. And so we might take a break from the deficit and consider their weight loss goal longer term. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Darian said, always coming back to assessing energy levels so we can readjust and make sure that how we're approaching nutrition um, is actually supporting <laughs> their lifestyle and they have mm-hmm. the energy to do the things that they want to do. And sometimes that means reassessing if weight loss truly is the best goal for them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know this conversation is maybe kind of veering away from energy levels specifically, but I think it does tie into the conversation Absolutely. in terms of calories and how many people will intentionally undereat, and, and that's something that we need to navigate. So another nutrition-specific factor that could impact your energy levels are any sort of nutritional deficiency. And while any deficiency in many of our vitamins and minerals could impact energy levels, there are two specific ones that we want to touch on today. Yeah. The first one is iron. And we have already done an entire podcast on Mm -hmm. iron. So we'd encourage you to go back and listen if you're interested to learn more. Um, But iron is involved in the production of red blood cells in the body. Mm -hmm. And red blood cells carry oxygen to all of the cells. And her body needs oxygen to produce energy. So if we don't have enough iron, we don't produce um, enough red blood cells. And then we're not getting that oxygen. So one of the symptoms of an iron deficiency is low energy. So that's where we would need to be intentional in integrating more iron-rich mm-hmm. foods um, and potentially even a supplement yeah. if we're looking to get your iron status back up. Um, and that's where we get to work with your doctor to do some testing on your iron levels um, and see where you're at as we focus on those mm-hmm. iron goals. Another collection of vitamins that we talk about when it comes to energy are the 8B vitamins. Um, And the 8B vitamins go by different names. So you'll sometimes hear them called like B1 or B2, Mm -hmm. but then they have um, other names that correlate with them like folate. Um, So you might hear um, people talk about the B vitamins um, with different names, um, but the B vitamins are involved in energy production. Mm -hmm. So they don't directly increase your energy, but they're cofactors right. in the production of energy. So if we don't have enough B vitamins, um, we might notice that our energy is yeah. a bit lower. Um, B12 is another one mm-hmm. that can cause anemia in the body where our red blood cells are affected. Many older adults will experience a B12 deficiency because they are no longer producing producing as much stomach Mm -hmm. acid um, to absorb that B12. So that's a population where we may have to be particularly careful Mm -hmm. or intentional about sourcing B12 or supplementing. Um, But overall, just think about the B vitamins as Mm cofactors in the production of energy and getting enough can help us feel more energized. Yeah. Um, And just a note, plant-based or vegan lifestyle eating is also a population we kind of watch for Mm. because we can get B12 um, through a lot of animal based products. So if we are leaning more towards a plant-based or a vegan lifestyle, then B12 is also a consideration there for energy. Yeah. And B12 specifically, the other yeah. B vitamins yeah. you can source through plant foods. Um, yeah. So Darian, if someone was mm-hmm. looking to improve their intake of the B, B vitamins to improve energy, um, what tips would you give them in terms of food sourcing or even supplement sourcing? So we can actually source B vitamins from most of our food group. So really ensuring that your plate is well balanced with a variety of foods is key. So they are in our protein sources through animal-based products. They are in our carbohydrates like whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. Um, So ensuring that we have a mixture of those components on our plate can be really helpful to ensure that we're hitting those B vitamins. But then if we do have extra considerations, a supplement can be warranted as well. 
Yeah, some people will experiment with taking a B50 or a mm-hmm. B100. Um, the 50 and 100 just um, refer to the amount mm-hmm. of each B vitamin in the supplement. Um, so you could supplement with the B50 or B100 and notice if your energy improves. They are water-soluble, so any excess you'll pee out, which is why if you do take a B vitamin, you'll notice your pee can be quite yellow. Uh, so just a little warning there. But sometimes I know I'll use that as a strategy if I'm feeling like my energy in the afternoon's a little bit low, I'll take a B vitamin with my lunch and I just find that I'm a bit more mm-hmm. energized through the day. So that could be a factor to consider if you wanted um, to do a little bit of experimentation. A final nutrition consideration for um, impacting your energy levels is hydration. So when we're hydrated, our body's actually able to carry nutrition and oxygen to our cells so that they can produce energy. So if we're not drinking enough fluid or even um, not consuming enough of our electrolytes, we might be dehydrated and we'll definitely notice a decrease in energy. Courtney, do you have a recommendation of a baseline of how much water we should be drinking in the day? Mm-hmm. I usually say like a baseline for most people Mm -hmm. of two to three liters per day and then definitely increasing based on a variety of factors, which could include how much a person's exercising, how much they sweat when they're exercising, what the temperature's like outside. If it's really hot and humid and they're sweating and spending a lot of time outside, Mm -hmm. then I would recommend more Um, or even just, you know, their own experience with hydration where they're maybe noticing they feel a little bit better with more or less. Um, So, yeah. It it is pretty variable, but I would say for most people, starting Mm -hmm. with that two to three liters and then adjusting. All right, moving on to our next section, we are going to tackle some lifestyle factors that also can impact our energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as registered dietitians, we know that factors beyond nutrition impact our clients' wellness. And many of these lifestyle factors include things like um, sleep and exercise. So we wanted to delve into some specific considerations um, for lifestyle factors that will influence our energy levels. The first one is our sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when many people think about getting a great night's sleep, maybe think they think about getting enough sleep. So mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you know, I got eight hours of sleep or whatever that magic number tends to be for them. And that's definitely important, getting enough sleep, but also the quality of our sleep really impacts our energy levels. And we're learning more and more about sleep in the research and how deep sleep offers us a lot of benefits in terms of like that restoration and feeling really awake and alert and restored um, when we do wake up in the morning. Yeah, so while all stages of sleep are necessary, as Courtney said, that deep sleep offers very specific physical and mental benefits. Um, During that deep sleep phase, your body releases growth hormone, and this can help to work to build and repair muscles, bone tissue, and really support immune system functioning as well. And additionally, deep sleep actually is important for regulating glucose metabolism and is important for cognitive function, memory, and our learning abilities too. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how sleep impacts glucose metabolism, which circles back to what we were talking about in the blood sugar balance um, section. So if we're getting better sleep, we're likely um, experiencing better blood sugars through the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that note, Court, do you have any tips on how we might capture more deep sleep? Yeah. Well, planning enough total time sleeping is important because throughout the night, your body's cycling through the four sleep stages. And so if you're sleeping more, then you have a better chance to capture that deep sleep. And um, I was actually just reading a research article where they're actually finding that going to bed before midnight is really important because that's when you capture most Mm. of your deep sleep. I know my grandma used to always say like the hours before midnight are the most important. And 
Maybe mm-hmm. she was right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Another one would be going to bed and waking up at consistent times. So this just allows our body to follow its uh, – or to find a circadian rhythm and mm-hmm. have that consistency with sleep. Um, so that's a, a big one that we find improves the sleep quality and um, increasing the deep sleep. Yeah. I know another one would be to keep your room cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our body naturally decreases in temperature at night. And then if we get really hot in the night, it'll cause us to wake up. And then, of course, we exit our yes. deep sleep. And so the recommendation for room temperature is actually pretty cool. It's 16 to oh. 21 degrees Celsius. Um, I know I do like it cold. Mm-hmm. Um, 16 is pretty chilly. <laughs> um, I was reading something that said like when your feet get cold, that's okay. what causes you to, to wake up. Oh. So um, I have heard a tip where it's like have your room colder, like 16 to 18, and then wear socks, socks. to keep your feet warm. <laughs> um, so that's something that I need to test out um, because I like it cold. But then sometimes I'm like, this is a little too chilly. Yeah. (laughs) I know you're big on this one, but capturing that natural light earlier in the day can be pretty important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned the word circadian rhythm before, which are rhythms in our body that regulate um, many things, one of them being Mm -hmm. sleep and wake cycles. And so research shows that when we expose our eyes to natural light earlier in the day, um, we not only feel more alert through the day, but we actually sleep Mm -hmm. better and fall asleep more easily and stay asleep more easily. So again, Mm -hmm. we're capturing uh, more deep sleep. Yeah. Unfortunately, hard to do with the time of the year we're at now. (laughs) Yeah. Living in Saskatchewan is tough for our circadian rhythm. It's always adjusting. The sun's changing Mm. so, so much. Yeah. This is one I really like, but make it dark before bed. So that exposure to any sort of artificial light can actually disrupt your internal clock regulation. So trying to kind of keep things dim or, you know, shut off any of those bright artificial lights, maybe even like an hour or two Mm -hmm. before you're starting to unwind can actually really help um, your body and lead to that um, melatonin production too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Limiting electronics, which I know can be challenging. I find it challenging anyways. Yeah. yeah. Another consideration is to limit caffeine about 10 hours before bed, which for most people will be around noon. So caffeine, as many of us know, is a stimulant. Um, and it has a ha- long half-life in the body, mean- meaning it stays in our system for quite a long time after we consume it. So if we are consuming caffeine later in the day, we may find that it Um, makes it more difficult for us to fall asleep, or we may just not be as restful and and get into those deep sleep stages as easily. Um, So our recommendation for clients is to limit caffeine 10 hours before bed. Mm -hmm. And and I found with clients, they're like, oh, yeah, I can have caffeine at 2 p.m. or I can have it in the evening. It doesn't affect me. But when they experiment with cutting it out, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually, you know, falling asleep and staying asleep and my sleep is way better. So I think if you are someone who consumes caffeine later in the day, it is worth experimenting. A final consideration is to experiment with your nutrition in the evening. So some people find that eating before bed negatively impacts their sleep and they'd rather have a longer gap after eating supper. Um, So in the research, we see that even having a three-hour break um, between supper and bedtime can be really supportive for sleep. Then on the flip side, we actually find with many of our clients Mm -hmm. that having some nutrition in the evening helps them sleep better um, because they're actually supporting their blood sugars through the night. So they're not having any blood sugar dips that can cause wakefulness. Um, So it is very individualized as many things are in nutrition. And that's where we experiment and assess with our clients to figure out an evening eating routine Mm -hmm. that's optimal for their sleep. 
Another lifestyle consideration would be to seek out light. Mm -hmm. We've already talked about um, light consideration when it comes to improving sleep. So as I mentioned, when we expose our eyes to natural light Mm -hmm. during the day, it can help us sleep better come evening. But we know that exposing our eyes to light also makes us more alert through the day. So if we want to feel more awake or we're struggling with our energy, we can use light as a tool. And so I'll often recommend that clients take breaks through their day to go outside for 15 to 30 minutes for a little walk or whatever they like to do outside to get that natural light exposure. And of course, it won't be as effective if it's a cloudy or overcast day. Um, and you might actually have to be outside longer mm-hmm. to get enough light on those days compared to a sunny day. But it's a really potent strategy for improving energy. And it's a tool I use all the time. So I definitely wanted to mention it. And I would say as well is if you can invite natural light into your yeah. environments that you're working or hanging out in, that can really help with energy. I know not everyone has the luxury of working by a window that has amazing natural light, but if you do have access to it, um, that can really help energy as well. Not quite as effective as being outside in natural light, but it definitely still helps. Another lifestyle consideration we wanted to explore was how exercise can impact our energy levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think many people uh, would agree that exercise can boost their energy levels. And there's many ways that exercise can do that. There can be like the natural release of hormones that help us feel more energized. But there can also be metabolic changes that are actually happening in the body Mm -hmm. that help us produce energy more effectively. So when we regularly exercise, our bodies or our cells have more mitochondria in them, which is um, the powerhouse of the cell, essentially, (laughs) if you go back to biology, that's actually producing glucose. So when you have more mitochondria and healthy mitochondria, you can have better energy through the day. There's also the effects of circulating oxygen through your body and how that can help you feel more energized. So definitely many considerations for how exercise will mm-hmm. boost your energy. I would even say like going back to blood sugar metabolism, yeah. helping keep that yeah. level through the day. And um, of course, those feel good hormones we get from that post-exercise uh, can make us feel more energized as well. Yeah, for sure. Um but then on the flip side, of mm-hmm. course, if we're over-exercising or we're not eating enough, sleeping enough, or managing stress compared to the amount of exercise we're doing, then we might experience overtraining, And in that case, we'll experience low energy. So more is not always more when it comes to exercise, but certainly we want to use it as a tool to support our energy mm-hmm. levels through the day. So we explored um, some common considerations related to nutrition and wellness that can impact our energy levels, but there are a few more uh, non-nutrition related um, factors that we wanted to explore, things that we notice improve our own energy levels or we've noticed um, in working with our clients um, that it helps them feel more energized through the day. So the first other consideration we want to touch on is our environment and how that can really have an impact on our energy levels. Yeah, Darian and I have talked about this quite mm-hmm. a lot where we're, where we just notice in our personal workspace, for example, mm-hmm. if the walls are painted white and we have lots of colors that are energizing, yeah. like greens and plants. If you ever come to our office, mm-hmm. um, it's white with yep. a lot of plants. <laughs> and we just find that really energizing compared to an environment that's maybe a little bit more dark. Mm-hmm. And of course, this will be personalized to yes. you and what you find energy energizing. Um, but I think it's awesome to be intentional with yeah. how you're building your environments um, so that you enjoy being in them and you you feel energized I if that's agree. the way you want to feel yeah. in that environment. Or the mm-hmm. window sizes or how many windows. I feel like that 
just such a huge role. Mm -hmm. Another consideration would be our social health. So I heard an analogy that there are two kinds of people. And so if we visualize a bag of marbles and a full bag of marbles um, being representative of having a lot of energy, Mm -hmm. some people, when they interact with others, they're giving their marbles Mm -hmm. away. So if they have a lot of social interaction, they're drained by the end of the day versus others who gather their marbles from other people, um, maybe a little bit more extroverted. So that's a consideration as well. Like, do you need um, some time alone to kind of refill your bag of marbles or do you need to spend time with other people and and steal their marbles and have more energy and and maybe it's a little bit of both Mm -hmm. for everyone but I think that we can't overstate how important social interaction is for our energy levels. Doing things that you're passionate about I feel like is a pretty understated thing that can impact your energy levels. If you're maybe taking part in something that doesn't really fill your cup or have value in your life, I feel like that can be pretty draining sometimes. So really seeking out those hobbies and activities um, that fill you up and you feel very driven towards, I think can be really impactful and just bringing your energy up. Mm -hmm. What are those passions for you, Darian? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Um, For me, I think personally right now, I've found that coaching um, at my CrossFit gym has been something that really I feel passionate towards and it brings me a lot of energy. So I feel like that's been something that doesn't feel like work. I get to interact with people, but also I'm learning myself while I'm there coaching and I find it's just, it's ignited a new passion for myself and I feel a lot of drive behind it. Mm, That's awesome. What about you, Court? Is there anything that you're passionate about that you feel really fuels you? Being outside, I don't know if that can be a a passion, but I feel like it's my, I I just love Mm -hmm. being outside and maybe it's like many of the reasons we talked about, like light exposure and movement, but I just find so much energy from doing activities outside. Like it literally could be shoveling my driveway. (laughs) Maybe that's weird to say that's my passion, but I guess that's just something that I I really notice in my life Mm -hmm. works for me and helps me feel connected to something bigger than myself. I like that. So taking a little bit of a direction here and coming back to physiology, there is the hormone side of things that can impact energy and that's our menstrual cycle. So for females specifically, there's changes in hormones, as we know, throughout the cycle. And after a woman ovulates, they enter a phase of the cycle called the luteal phase. And in this phase, um, the egg that was released at the time of ovulation is um, producing a hormone called progesterone. And it's known that progesterone can have a bit of a calming, almost like sleepy effect on the body where a lot of women will experience a natural decrease in their energy levels for this phase, which is typically 10 to 14 days. So tracking your cycle will just have you aware of what's going on in your body. And then you won't be second guessing why you feel a little bit more tired. You'll understand that natural rhythm and you'll just kind of work with it and adjust if you need to. Some women find that they maybe need to decrease their exercise intensity, increase their nutrition, um, or even get more sleep. I will say that if there's imbalances in hormones, so if you're not producing enough progesterone, for example, you can have more extreme fluctuations in energy where you're feeling very fatigued. So in this case, we want to work on um, strategies to balance your hormones throughout the cycle, which for many mean increasing progesterone levels. And, And there's a lot we can do from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective on that one. And that's where I really love working with women one on one to support um their lifestyle and their nutrition so that they can experience more ease through their menstrual Mm -hmm. cycle and less drastic fluctuations Mm -hmm. in energy. 
So if you're feeling tired, we hope that one of the strategies that we recommended can help give you a little boost. Um, and if you are interested in learning more, you can visit our blog at vitalitynutrition.ca forward slash blog. And on the blog, we'll have a full written article so that you can delve into each of these topics um, in a little more detail. Thanks for spending your time with us. To further fill your plate, Follow us on social media using the links in our show notes or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca. And as always, we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay fed, stay moving, and stay well. Produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.